This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. We're all here trying to get fitter and better so we can go to a selection camp and try to make the team. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking to Michael Grady, as everyone knows him as Mike Grady, currently a CRC athlete training out of Oakland under Mike Tady and Skip. Mike, how's it going today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks, Hudson, for having me on. Talking about Justin Best, because like our, we've spoken in the past about him, what has his influence been like on you as an athlete? Yeah, I mean, look, Justin, Justin and I rode the pair and the four and um, he's been around since I've been around essentially at CRC as of 2019. So it's just reassuring to have a guy like him around. You know, he's always been a hard worker and, you know, very determined athlete. So when you have a guy like him, it's it's easy to kind of tag along with that energy. And I think that's the true point of how to define him is there's energy, good energy. So that's, you know, a big plus to have when you're in a sport that's hours and hours and hours of doing the same repetitive movement over and over you know some people call it insanity but you know if you have a guy like justin it's pretty easy to go along and continue forward doing it right what are some of the things that he does that inspire you to keep on going after each day like is there something important that he does is there something that he says like what what about him just just keeps you going because i remember that and i saw something on instagram that you posted that if it wasn't for justin like your impact and rowing it wouldn't be the same without him i, I always feel like talking about people, talking about that brotherhood that you will share together. It's so special. And so I think it's awesome to talk about it. All my teammates at CRC are like kind of give me inspiration day in, day out. It's we're trying to achieve something great, something that's heavily difficult without much recognition, really. So it's just the way that, you know, these guys carry themselves. They just come in, sit down and get right to working out most of the times. And it's just, it's nice to see when you have that guy side by side with you, pushing you every step along the way. And you know that whatever you're doing is also helping them continue on this journey as well. So just in in this aspect, you know, just since I've been in boats with him for the previous two years and, you know, look forward to hopefully doing this again as we look towards Paris, it's just reassuring to have a guy like him who, you know, puts his nose down and does the work, doesn't really complain too much and just gets it done. That's always encouraging to have as a uh, athlete. Now talking about this past summer leading up to the fall when you were at the World Championships, you guys held a pretty strong race. The heat and semis, you guys were in the lead the entire time. And then the finals, you, you, you were 
approaching that, but you kind of fell short behind. And so you didn't finish first, but you still qualified for Paris. Uh, it was a great race. But I wanted to touch on what kept you going through that, because for those of you who don't know, bow seat steering the entire thing down the race course, it's interesting to know kind of how that plays out at the highest stage. You're in the race. One of the biggest components to a quality, what we call straight boats, just no cocks and straight boats. So a blind boat is communication, right? So finding a few words, a phrase or two that can just contribute to a idea, a feeling, a a move, like push now. It's it's all just small, small phrases that kind of gather a bigger aspect of what, what you're trying to accomplish, right? A lot of the talking in the boat came from me and Nick Mead. And, you know, of course, Liam stroking the boat says stuff. Of course, Justin says stuff. As we approached that race, we didn't really have a true judgment of speed since, yeah, okay, we went Three of the four of us went to World Cup in that boat, and we knew we got third, but we're six seconds back from Australia and GB, right? GB taking the gold, Australia taking the silver, and us taking bronze six seconds back. So we had no idea how how close we were going to be to these crews after making the change, right? And we just kind of had to go in there with a little bit of blind confidence in the heat and just, you know, run through all the practices we had gone through that, that year, you know? It was a great preparatory period. We just, we did all the right stuff, it seemed. And then we get get to the race day and it just turns out that we had some speed and it was, you know, it was exciting. It was truly, you know, my first senior team medal getting silver besides World Cups. So it's always encouraging to kind of have that that hard work of years of hard work pay off in form of hardware. So yeah, it's communication and not really knowing where you are and just trusting that what you've done is going to get you into a good position to perform come race day. Casey Galvanic was your coach for the straight four. I saw this video of him carrying an entire straight four by himself. He was in the middle of the shell. He was carrying it. And I was so, I was like, how is this guy doing that? Did you see that video of Casey holding up that boat like that? That was nuts. Yeah. Pink hat man is what we call him. I was on the erg outside in Italy under a tent getting eaten by bugs, watching Casey carry a four by himself. I'm like, you know what? This isn't too bad. He gets to rig our boat for us and we just get to continue plucking away at the fitness. It was kind of funny seeing him do that in some way it was kind of a, a flex on us but you know i i appreciate it he's got that grown man strength man that's a, a different level of strength but look i mean his coaching his impact on you you've had a lot of coaches throughout your career you know at cornell and then you're obviously with mike tady at, at crc and skip and then casey specializing with you in this boat you talked to me about your impact on cornell and how the team just was on a different wavelength than maybe you and some of your other teammates were some of the goals that they were trying to reach and, and do things that were just a little bit different than what you had hoped but you know you're currently on the national team. You've been on the national team for a while. You're, you've been doing your thing. You've been working super hard. And is there a specific memory that you can remember that really made you feel like, okay, this is what I want to do after college? And I asked you this question over the phone. I said, you know, people start it, they do it. But then it's like, why are they still doing it? What's prompting each athlete to keep on going, you know, each and every day? So if you can enlighten everybody about what started your ambition to be on a national team and to be honest, why are you still here? That's a great question. I mean, look, and not not to discredit Cornell, you know, there was some good, some bad, and some ugly. And, you know, I had an incredible coaching staff with Kenneth, Burke, Tennant, and a few others that came and went while I was there, but as well as my teammates, you know, they all helped me kind of become who I am today. But what really led to my 
you know, aspiration was I was on the junior team and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I get to travel. You know, it's not that great of rowing like the junior team and like it's really not that great of rowing. So I, I go and, you know, both years do pretty poorly on the junior team. I'm like, oh, well, I got to go to, you know, Lithuania. I got to go to Germany. That's really cool. Like and then I kept growing, you know, get to college and I'm getting a little faster, a little more fit. And I'm like, Hey, you know, like you 23s, that's a thing you can, you can travel as well. Like maybe it's the travel aspect. And then I, I started like wanting to win. So I went to a U23 camp under Dave O'Neill, current Texas women's coach. To be honest, that summer was miserable at times, right? Um, I had no idea what to expect out of a U23 camp. And man, it was just hard work. We were told that we didn't really have the talented group that we wouldn't perform and we were kind of like b-listers more or less like we didn't didn't have any of the a a caliber athletes they wanted they just had the b caliber athletes and you know i kind of took that personally right essentially screw you like i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna like continue to try to get better like i'm sensitive at times i take things personally so i i took that personally and you know we ended up kind of outperforming our expectations like um and we made the a final we were second off the world record in the heat and um, you know, we, unfortunately, a lot of us got sick. Most of our boat actually was sick or injured going into the final. So we came in, I think fourth or fifth. I don't actually remember, but then I was like, okay, I, I got to do this kind of, I got, I got one more year of eligibility. And, you know, so I just went home, kept on training. And then I found out that the camp was going to be held at Washington under coach Callahan and with help some, from Sergio and Carlos, uh, the RP3 guru, Carlos. I was like, okay, that might be, that might be something like, this is something I'm, I'm, I got to make sure I'm, I'm at, and I have an opportunity to be the, one of the top guys there. So, and I get an invite to camp, go to camp and, um, you know, things just were completely different from what I was used to. The level of professionality, I was not used to. It kind of like threw me off at first just to see how all the UW guys operated since there was a large conglomerate of UW guys that made up the team that year. Um, See how they operate under Callahan, how Callahan runs the ship. Everything was super clear cut, laid out, planned ahead. And it just was like, wow, like, you know, this is, this is truly something special you know and i can understand why uw is such a historic program and why a guy like callahan you know should be at the reins of the uw program and um sure enough you know go through camp i make the eight we go to world cup first test of speed goes pretty well and i realize hey you know like we're just a bunch of college kids and we're pretty close to the the undefeated german eight at that time for a long time you know we held them within a length to the one can, I was like, holy, holy crap. Like I just wanted to chomping at the bit at that point. We get to U23 Worlds and cruise through in the heat and then have a great race on the final, break the U23 World Record, win gold. And that's kind of like when I got hooked to actually the national team aspect of the sport being like, this is kind of what it's about. You know, that level of professionalism and that level of drive that all the guys in that eight that summer had. It was just, again, you know, Justin being there too. Um, I'm sure he maybe mentioned this on the previous podcast. It was just, it was just different. And so I was super excited. And I immediately after that summer, I, I got a hold of Mike Tate. And I was like, I, I want to come out to California and keep on rowing and do whatever I can to make a team for you. And, you know, sure enough, I did. And I, I went out to California and didn't immediately make a team, but I made the most important one, you know, the the Olympic team for that next year, partially due to COVID. COVID gave me some time, but it was a large, long developing story of why I wanted to keep rowing. Why I want to keep rowing now? Look, I mean, you can't row forever, obviously. I'm engaged. I have a f- wonderful fiance and I just, I just, 
I want to be able to spend my time with her, but I can't kind of hang up the oars, so to say, without uh, without kind of giving it one last true run. You know, and I, I think I, I owe it to myself, to my parents, to like everyone who's kind of been a part of my journey so far. I just, I, I feel like I'm in debt to them. And by hopefully having a, you know, strong performance, I kind of kind of feel like I can pay them back. I'm doing it a lot more for other people than than myself at this point. Well, look, like what you said is fantastic. You you really captured everything I think I was going for with that. A lot of people, when they jump on, I ask those types of questions. They don't really get to the point. And even though it was it was lengthy and you got a chance to really talk about what happened, I feel like I know you better now and the audience knows you better now. And to me, I feel like, you know, Dave O'Neill, a legendary coach, Michael Callahan. I mean, these coaches are like one of a kind. Having been able to be under the leadership of these coaches and even Casey. I mean, Casey's doing great things too. I mean, there's there's so many awesome things about these coaches and you've been able to be under them and to learn from them and to see different perspectives from the sport and how they train their athletes because you you can tell who's a Sarasota guy, you know, from seeing them row or, or seeing what they do you know, how they dress or whatever it is. And then, you know, who's a dog, you know, who's, who's from Washington. So all these different things are great. I mean, even Dave O'Neill is doing great things with Texas. I mean, Texas is really shot up and just done awesome things in the past, you know, five to 10 years. So, but when you sent that text to Mike Tatey about wanting to be there, what was his response? It took a little bit of convincing, right. For him to bring me out. Right. Like I would have expected like, Oh, you 23 medalists like that. That's, world record u23 guy like that's that's right there he was in the stern but no i mean like that's where some of that good bad ugly comes into play from cornell like you know there there is hesitations that like hey maybe this guy's not ready you know maybe he can't actually handle it yet so eventually i got the clearance with some help of alex karwaski who was a current athlete under mike and actually you know he was a cornell grad and came back and coached at cornell for a year i should mentioned that and he he kind of spoke to Mike was like look you know I think he is ready he's like he's been the best guy at that program for a few years now so it's sure like you know maybe maybe there's some good bad and ugly at times with with Mike but you gotta understand like this guy's this guy's gonna come here and you know if if he's not gonna work out you can get rid of him but you, you gotta bring him here so there was a lot of growing after college, after U23s that I still had to go under. And, you know, a lot of that is owed to, you know, Mike Tatey and Tim McLaren and Skip. Those guys have done a lot to develop me, not only as an athlete, but as like a person. Um, you know, I think a lot of grace for them. Extremely grateful to have those guys in my life. They're special to me and will remain special to me. I just, I, I owe them a lot as well. You know, I'm also doing it for these guys too. It's just, Mike doesn't always get a good rap. He doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve any of that. So yeah, I just got to make sure that people know that there are people that love Mike, like myself. So yeah, I mean, everyone has their own opinion about any anything in life. It's what you feel deep down in your core about somebody, how they're able to impact your life, you know, and, and what they do day in, day out to be a better person or whatever it is. There's, there's certain people in this world that, that you, that you cherish and you appreciate. You said that you had some miserable days at the U23 circuit, that camp. What were those miserable days like? Days where you just don't know don't know if you're good enough, you know? Everyone, I think fundamentally, everyone wants to be told, hey, like, you're there, you got it, like, you can do it. You're great. Like, all, all this positive stuff. But in an environment like that, I think you don't really receive that until the very end, right? And I think that's, it's kind of like a, a mini crucible 
of creating a stronger person in a, a crew identity and a boat identity just to make sure that you guys have this kind of like trauma bond. I don't want to say trauma because it's not trauma. Like, you know, that's very privileged to say, but it is a little bit, you know, like to kind of be a little bit uniquely vulnerable with guys at some point during the experience and just be able to fully trust that no matter what, this guy's kind of got your back for maybe it's just that U23 camp, but he's got your back during that. I think that's pretty special. I mean, I think that's what rowing does as a whole quite often is bond people in discomfort. Mm. I mean, dude, I think it's time for you to make a book. That's, that's pretty cool stuff right there. I like that. How long did it take for you and the guys to really connect? Because I mean, you've you had the privilege of being under the, the U19 circuit. You were at U23 is a year prior to that. But that last year that you were on the team, did it ever, did you ever think about how long it took you to really connect with the guys because sometimes it takes a little bit of while to develop that connection and uh you know chemistry is so important in a rolling shell especially in an eight you know you got to be in tune with one another so how long did it take and also what was the connection like with your coxswain and I'm, I'm you know curious to know what what that was like at a 23 level that's a good question I mean I'm unapologetically myself right I can be quite loud and you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I, I think it's kind of almost like a defense mechanism for myself. I came in, I knew a lot of the guys, but I didn't know everybody. But, you know, I'm, I I just immediately am making jokes, kind of being one of the louder guys in the room. You know, I, I don't know how I still do it, but I, I'm still kind of like that even to this day. So, I, yeah, I've just kind of always unapologetically been myself. Some people kind of respect that and some people don't. And it just happened to be that the group of guys that I were with I mean again I knew a few of them from the previous U23 experience but there wasn't too too much overlap but you know I had already made a few connections and then through those connections I was able to continue to create friendships with some of the guys like some of the guys are actually in my wedding party at you know they're gonna be groomsmen right it goes beyond rowing you know these kind of relationships I think I just kind of forced them to be my friends almost <laughs> you hear about those stories about those kids that like can't make friends their parents have to get involved and like talk to the parent and try to like get their kids to hang out and have, you know, when they're younger, have, you know, play dates or whatever it is. It's yeah, hilarious. I bet my parents paid off some kids, you know, <laughs> I've just got energy. I can't help it. That's funny. What are the kids like now? I mean, I, I don't know why I'm calling them kids, but I mean, you, you call them kids first. What are they like now? The, the athletes that are almost a new generation of CRC athletes that are coming in out of college or even in college now, guys like Lego or, you know, Harrison or whatever it is. It's refreshing, man. I mean, I, I like having some young blood here. It's you know, I've been trying to day-to-day basis bring energy and now I feel like I can kind of hang up my hat for a few days when, when we have new blood here. You know, it's always good to have new guys coming in and pushing the envelope with you guys. So it's just, it's good. I think, I think having a club system is healthy. It's not, it doesn't feel like a direct competition, you know? Like when I showed up at uh, California, Oakland, which was the training training center back in the day under Mike, it, it didn't feel quite as natural, the integration there, right? Um, because it, it was the training center where it's, oh, wait, this guy's coming in to try to directly take my spot versus, you know, CRC, like, hey, we're, we're all here trying to get fitter and better so we can go to a selection camp and try to make the team. You know, it just feels a little more organic and easy to have young guys come in and not have to protect your yourself versus them, like from day one. I'm sure you've seen a fine balance. Oh, yeah. You know, in like the beginning scenes or whatever, you, you see like Tatey and a bunch of the guys in the boathouse and they're, they're talking about lineups for the day. Is that the same thing like it is today? Yeah, the coaches come in and I mean, like more or less like same thing. You know, they just come in and they give the lineups for the day and tell us what we're doing. 
we have a schedule, a week long schedule. And then um, sometimes if we're lucky, we got a two week long schedule. So you can pretty much row with whoever you want. If you talk to the coaches, I don't think people have realized that yet. Like, you know, it's not, it's not exclusive. You can ask the coach, Hey, can I try rowing with this guy or do that? And eventually you find some combos that work and some combos are rowed a little more frequently than others. But I think that's kind of, you know, once they kind of become established and have results behind them, then that it's more likely that they'll continually be paired together what yeah i mean your favorite lineup that you've suggested oh i gotta i mean a good one is i soren kozik right winner of the charles in the single also a cornell guy sometimes we go out in a pair you know it's and it's fun he he's a scholar right now but i mean if you wanted to he's i'm happy to have him come sweet you know he's good so it's just it's fun it's fun to row with it i i try to row with as many people as i can you know before before i'm kind of at camp so i've i've rode with a lot of guys and um going to continue to do so until i'm kind of forced to continually row with the same lineup with the goal of speed right going into a different section of the podcast now we're going to go into the q a we do have some questions here from uh, our supporters thanks to mike grady posting on his uh, story we got some people from his end uh, asking questions now but one of the main questions we got here is what do you think out of the experience that you've had on the u.s team and even in college and whatnot what do you feel is the most important part of the rowing stroke and why oh damn that's a that's a good question the concept of the rowing stroke is fundamentally so simple right get up to the catch try not to disrupt the boat place maintain connection the whole way through the stroke and release without checking the boat right however it's just if you're messing up one area it's going to affect another area i think boats on a lower level where they can find the most success is by working on likely the recovery i think that's probably what i was coaching the most at strokes was trying to find you know the floating feeling right the the feeling of like you know, people have talked about like you're flying, right? And I, I think that kind of is what I was focusing on was working on the recovery with athletes, because if you time the recovery well, likely you're going to time the catch well, which can lead to a better drive. And it, it's just like by improving that, it improves other areas as well. If you're messing up the drive sequence completely or messing up another, you know, the catch or the release completely, then it's going to completely affect every other part of the stroke. So yeah, no, that's a good question. What boat are you preparing for the Olympics? Uh, we've already talked about this. We, we mentioned that he's going to be in the straight four. Uh, he qualified for Paris, which is awesome. I uh, can't wait to see how him and the boys do uh, amongst the field. Real quick, let me make a slight clarification. So although, yeah, I qualified, we medaled, I still have to earn my spot, right, for the men's four. And I think the priority selection will be the men's four, then the eight, then the pair if I'm not mistaken, but I have to make sure I have good results tied to my name with a partner from the four, which likely will be Liam seemingly so far to make sure that I stay a part of that men's four. So I am not guaranteed the men's four, but um, you know, that's, that's the goal to be in that boat class again. So what you're saying is, is that, so just because that you qualified, you know, for Paris doesn't mean that you're already guaranteed a suggested spot in the boat. You have to still work yeah. Before. Okay, got it. I didn't know how it was. I know that there's some things with Olympics where the boats have to be set. If you go to FOQR, right? So like the eight, when they go to FOQR to qualify the boat, they'll have to keep the majority of the boat. will have to have the same amount of people from FOQR to the Olympics. Like you can make one or two substitutions for injury or an illness or whatever happens. But um, for the world championship qualification, the, the lineup can, can be completely different. Like like the Sinkovich brothers, right? They're no longer going to be in the double. They're going into the pair for the Olympics. And that means the brothers, the other brothers are going to be going into the double to 
you know, fill out Croatia's Olympic, more or less. Got it. Okay. Obviously, your goal is to to bring a medal home back to the States, which is awesome. Uh, we really hope to see more of those, you know. It's a bit disappointing from last Olympics with the eight, you know. You always wanted to see the men's eight kind of come on top and bring home a medal back to the States, but we weren't able to do that this uh, last Olympics. But um, hopefully this Olympics, we can do it. You know, not talk about your rivals, GB, but they're, they are throwing down some amazing uh, results at this past World Championship. You know, Harry Brightmore, the cox on that boat, uh, was able to come on the show and talk about his experience with, with GB and whatnot. And he's just been doing it for a very long, long time. Now he was, he's been a coxswain since he was 13 years old. And um, I, I find it very interesting that a lot of coxswains and rowers here in the States just don't start, you know, they don't start rowing till later on in their high school years, you know? And so, so many of the other counterparts in other countries that we're competing against, you know, each year have been rowing for a long, long time. I know a lot of your teammates are coaching at Oakland Strokes and they're really trying to inspire the next generation of athletes there. But have you had a chance to, to coach any athletes at a younger level? Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, no, I actually was also a coach at Strokes for some time. Um, and then I, I had to go, unfortunately, get like a, a full-time job, um, you know, per my parents' request. And so, uh, yeah, no, but when I was there, it, it's it's really refreshing kind of being an athlete while also coaching. You know, it's, it's like viewing the sport from a different lens. In my opinion, right, when I was at Strokes, all I wanted was for every kid to have a good time. And I didn't really care as much about the results as long as I can make sure everyone walked away feeling included with a smile at some point during that practice, right? Yeah, it's just kind of a shame that some sometimes coaching um, at, at a level where um, kids are so young and so easily influenced to think that they're not worthy because they didn't perform at a high school sporting event that just it's like kind of disgusts me like i i had this coach um i had this coach who wasn't really a coach but growing up his name was uh dave gray and that was kind of his philosophy it was just like hey let's make sure everybody has a good time so you know of course yeah i want to have success but i, I want to make sure we're doing it in a way that it's not we're not causing like almost a a PTSD type scenario (laughs) with athletes. It's just, you know, I I want, I, I, if I'm ever entering into a coaching um, sphere, like that's, that's going to be my whole goal is to find success while also making sure like it's a, it's a open space for, you know, high quality performance and, high quality relationships. It just, and I I think a lot of the time people look only for a high quality performance and kind of forget about building kids up from, you know, because like you said, like we, I also had a phenomenal high school coach, Jay Hammond, who, who built me from, you know, the ground up. So I've had so many influential characters in my life that 
I think I've been pretty lucky with who I've had as a coach. Yeah. Um, my entire career, just being able to build you from, you know, step A all the way to Z. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I think coaches struggle with trying to figure out who really wants it and who doesn't want it. Um, and I think it's, it's also tough to try to develop athletes at a younger level when they're just not as competitive as some of their teammates and then trying to put them in the same shell and sing if the boat can go. It's like everyone has to be putting in the same amount of effort in their pieces day in, day out. And it's when a coach finds that, when they find that group that can do it, maybe it's not an eight, maybe they're in a, a you know, a Cox four or they're in a, even a quad, you know, getting more athletes into sculling boats, I think is really important too to reduce the amount of injuries that we see in sweep rowing. But I, I find it to be interesting that coaches spend a lot of time worrying about, you know, how well are my athletes going to do instead of actually, are they enjoying it? Are they enjoying the training? Are they enjoying the process? And um, I yep. think from, you know, what you're saying is completely correct. Like you have to make it, yes, you have to set the stone for, okay, this is what it takes to get to the highest level and to be at a level where you want to be at that you keep on telling me all the time. But, you know, it's like, you also have to have fun too. Like if you're not having fun, you know, what's the point? You know, it, sports are meant to teach you things about life, how to be a better person, but to also remember that you're here to also have fun too. So I like that, what you said there. Um, last question we got here from the Q&A is your relationship with Liam Corrigan. Um, obviously, you mentioned in you know the earlier stage of this podcast that your teammates have all been influential in your life, but this one question is uh, honing on to Liam Corrigan. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I like Liam. I love Liam. I mean, he's a, he's a good friend of mine, and he's an extreme competitor an extreme competitor. So it's, I always, I always want that guy in my boat. So to say I more for better, or for worse, um, you know, at times, um, you know, sometimes practices can get heated and it's like, but that's the way it is. We're both extreme competitors. Right. And I'm lucky enough that I have him in my pair and I have him in my floor. And whenever I line up on the line with a guy like Liam, it's it's just you just know, hey, look, like I don't have to discount him. He's always gonna he's always gonna go hard and always gonna try to do whatever he can to get the bow ball ahead. Whatever he can. So um he he's one of the, the ultimate competitors that I've I've seen in this sport. And so it's it's pretty easy to be a teammate with him, despite Sometimes us and others having, uh, you know, conflicts of interest, right? <laughs> um, no boat is always perfectly meshy. You know, you got to be able to, at times, point out, you know, things that you think can be different. You know, it's all, you should be able to always voice your opinions. And, you know, Liam voices his opinions. I voice my opinions. Nick voices opinions. Justin voices opinions. And right. uh, Pink Hatman, Casey, voices opinion. So it's, <laughs> Pink it's, it's always. Can you yeah, elaborate it's on always, that? Yeah. On Pink Hatman? Yeah. Like, like where did this start? I've never heard of Pink Hatman. I mean, I, he wore this pink hat on his podcast with me, but like, is that yeah. his hat? I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, so there's a theory. He only wears a pink hat around Sarasota, right? From what I'm told, around the national team, always wearing a pink hat. So when it comes time to and he wants to disappear he can go in a white hat or no hat and no one recognizes him so it's kind of like uh 
it's kind of like a mask disguise that some you know superhero or supervillain wears right um i saw him at head of the charles and i don't now i'm thinking about it now i don't think i saw him in a pink hat i think he was wearing no hat blend, blending in he was blending in he's being a chameleon yeah when casey was first brought on to when he was all right this is your coach he's going to be the one that's going to be taking you up to to worlds you and the boy talking to me one another about that just because he's a he's a great high school coach you know now sarasota is a high performance club um, it's now a place where you can train like CRC and it's, it's great. I mean, who doesn't want to be in Sarasota? It's a beautiful place to be at. When you first heard that Casey was your coach, did you realize that at the end of all this time that you've been with him, that he was going to be the person that he was like, he, everyone hears stories about him, but until you're actually coached by him, you really see what he's like, you know, honestly, I can say, no, I, I don't, I didn't really, at that point, I was kind of like set on who I wanted to be as a coach. And and at the time it, it wasn't Casey. Cause I thought Casey was going to be stuck or wrapped up with, I wouldn't say stuck. I think, you know, he very much enjoyed No, He, I know for a fact, he very much enjoys coaching the lightweight woman. So I thought he was going to be with the lightweight woman. And um, when we found out, that he was going to coach us. And we, we, we had our first conversation in Chula Vista. I, I, I was, I was kind of taken aback. I, I was like, I don't think he really wants to be here. Like, you know, he kind of, the way he spoke to us the very first time, it was like high, a high level of accountability that I just wasn't, wasn't ready for. And um, it took us a little bit of time to figure out how to communicate a little bit better. And, you know, eventually we did find out how to communicate better. And, you know, from there, it was just, you know, like clockwork as a coach. But, um, yeah, I was I was uh, no, I was not fully prepared or understood what Casey was like as a coach prior to having him as a coach. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you want to have a coach who's supporting you along the way. And, um, you know, everyone when I released the podcast with Casey, everyone was like, oh, yeah. You know, he's not going to talk for a long time, but he went on for two hours, actually more than two hours. We The podcast was edited down to two hours, if you can believe that. But it it's still, you know, one of the top episodes that I've, I've published. Everyone likes it because, you know, he's a lot of people do like him because he's just a really likable person at, at times. And I don't know, I'm not going to talk for him, but talk for other people. But I've only heard I've heard really good things about him. And so the conversations that we've shared together have been great. So looking forward to more of those case to listening to that. Looking forward to more conversations, but I think to sum this all up, it really means a lot that you've been able to be here with me today. Mike, you told me, you said you want to be here. You want to be able to talk about your career. And I think that although Cornell might not have been the outcome of what you wanted out of a college program, you said to me over the phone, like you learned a lot from being there and the coaches that you've had along the way have shaped you into the person that you are today, as long as your teammates. And so, you know, there's, there's great things to come from rowing and I'm excited to see how you do this year and uh, hoping for the best. Any last things or words of encouragement for people out there listening to the podcast that are maybe getting ready for spring season. They're, they're trying to navigate, you know, the recruiting process or whatever it is, anything of, of advice. If they ever have questions, they just, you know, you can DM us. Like, I'm always happy to try to help people if I can. And if I can't, then I'll, I'll let them know. But um, general rule of advice is, I mean, just find someone that has good energy and try to match it and emulate it. And, you know, it is a team sport. It is a team sport. Even if you're in a single, it's a team sport. Your competitors are kind of your teammates. If you're in a single and if you're in, you know, team boats, then look no further than the guys in your boat with you. It's always good to be able to emulate energy and bring energy and try to make the sport, which can be miserable at times, fun. So yeah, energy is uh, the key word for today. There you have it, man. 
Mike Grady on Four Shards Podcast. Appreciate you, Mike. And I look forward to seeing you down the line on the podcast. Maybe we do a group podcast with a bunch of the guys after you guys bring home some hardware to the States. Yeah, that would be awesome.